0: So we are in a series called Believe and Belong about church membership, or the idea of connecting to a local congregation, a local body of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, and how um, God has not intended for us as believers to just go through life alone. Um, Of course, we have him and relationship and fellowship with him, but he's also given us each other. And we established at the beginning of the series just the idea of uh, identifying with a local body, connecting to a local body, a local family, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, why, why we have each other, right? There's accountability, there's encouragement, um, there's fellowship, there's this idea of many parts but one body, right? We're gifted in different ways, and so we all serve the Lord to, to one end, to glorify Jesus, to make him known, and yet he's brought different people with different backgrounds and different gifts together to do that. And so we've been talking about what the benefits are of being a part of a local church, but also kind of the expectations or the commitments of uh, what's re- expected of being part of a local church. Last week, we talked about caring, serving, and honoring, all crammed into to one Sunday morning, this idea of caring for one another and serving one another, honoring one another, the idea of taking care of each other's needs and meeting each other's needs uh, as we have Been blessed to be a blessing, making sure that there's no lack in our spiritual family, serving one another, how God has given every believer spiritual gifts, um, one or more spiritual gifts that we don't get to pick. The Spirit decides who gets what gifts, and they're different, and they're not for ourselves, right? If you've been given a spiritual gift, it's not to edify yourself, it's to edify or encourage others, and so you have to be in community with other believers to do that to use your gifts, to exercise those gifts, and honor the Lord in that way. And then honoring one another. We talked about how we were to outdo one another in showing honor, uh, that we would not just be selflessly honoring one another, but honoring the, the elders or leaders of our churches as well. Today we're talking about witnessing and the idea of sharing our faith with those who are unbelievers or still separated from God in their sin, those who don't yet have everlasting life in Christ, like we do. If we have trusted in Jesus by faith for salvation, then we are eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, There are others, right, in the world who have not. And so we have been called and commissioned to share the truth and the love of the gospel with them. God, again, has in his wisdom uh, chosen the foolishness of people to be the messengers of his great gospel. Um, Paul, in one of my favorite passages in all the Bibles, talks about how he is Um, the the foremost sinner, right, of all men. And yet he says, because of this, because I am the chief sinner, that's why God saved me, basically to show off, to show that there's no one beyond the grace of God. He says, I am the chief sinner, the foremost of sinners, but because God saved me, it's proof that God can save anyone. And so there is grace for every sinner who is separated from Jesus. This idea of sharing our faith, again, it's for many a really scary concept or intimidating or at least often neglected, something that we don't like to do or choose to do. Uh, Sometimes we believe, and this is a myth, that it's only for those who have the gift of evangelism. Uh, In one of the classes I took in seminary, which was an evangelism course, the professor was uh, early on um, adamant to say, like, there is no gift of evangelism There is the gift of evangelist, but that doesn't mean that everyone else is off the hook either. There's plenty of verses in scripture that tell us we are all to share the good news of Jesus with others. Some people have the gift of evangelist, uh, and so you'll see those who just is so natural um, not just to engage others, but to engage others in a way that the, the, the gospel kind of flows through conversation, that they are uh, not just uh, making conversation, but they are pointing people to Jesus in their conversation. Uh, and so it is much easier and natural for those people. Uh, but if witnessing and evangelism is not reserved for just those people. We're all called to do it. This is one of the reasons that our church name is Missio Day Church. I wanted to keep this constant reminder in front of us uh stamped onto our identity that we are a part of the mission of god to reconcile people to himself to make all things new uh we're not called just to enjoy the grace of god right like our mission statement says we're also called to extend the grace of god Um, and so it's something that we're all called to do we've been invited into the process to share the gospel with others and make him known There would be no church today, and I don't just mean Miss Yoday Church, I mean there would be no church today around the world if people stopped extending the grace of God to others, right? If every believer kept the good news of Jesus to themselves, the movement would have died out. The church would have died out with the lack of gospel. The kingdom advances and God builds his church through the sharing of our faith so that others might believe. We read in Romans, how can they believe if they have not heard and how can they hear if no one shares? So God has given us a message to share so that others might hear and believe. Because without hearing, there's no believing. Without believing, there's no salvation. So let's look at 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17, and see what Peter's encouragement is to the believers about sharing their faith with others. Uh, I don't think we're going to have the words on the screen, so uh, you can either look on your device or Bible or just listen along here. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter starts with some encouragement about not fearing harm. Kind of a weird opener if you're trying to encourage someone or build them up, right? You don't usually talk someone up by putting um, fear into their mind or thoughts of harm in their heads. It's almost this kind of like, I wasn't worried about this, but now, now I am. Now I feel like I should be. But Peter's not planting the idea of fear in their minds in his audience here. He's proactively addressing the persecution that they're under already for being Christians. In the preceding verses that I did not read, he's told them to not repay evil with evil. So there's this idea that there's harm being done to them. There's persecution. There's people out to get them because they identify with Christ. He's not sowing seeds of doubt. He's encouraging them to withstand and press on. He's actually trying to combat their already existing fears with the truth of God and the power of Jesus. And as fitting as this message was for Christians facing persecution, real life like we could be physically harmed persecution, I think it also applies today, and it helps us to put things in perspective because fear is often a major excuse for us for not sharing our faith with others. We have these ideas of what will they think of me or what will they say in response? Uh, what will I say? I don't know all the right words or terms. I haven't been trained. What if they reject me? We have this idea that they're rejecting us when we share the gospel and people don't want to hear it. What if this harms my relationship? What if this is a friend or a family member or someone that I'm around all the time and I feel like this is going to kind of break or harm our relationship moving forward, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. It helps us, as it did Peter's audience, I think, to know that we can combat our fears by focusing on Jesus. Peter says we have no fear, to have no fear, nor be troubled, but to honor Christ in our hearts as holy. This is kind of the antidote to fear or being troubled. Holy means set apart. the idea that we're to cultivate and kindle our affections and worship for Jesus so that our fears subside. This is the internal version of of Linus dropping his blanket, right, in the Peanuts Christmas special. The only time that Linus ever drops his blanket is when he quotes scripture in the Christmas special, and he says, fear not, right? And he's, he's quoting the angel who said, fear not, because he's bringing this good news of Jesus. And there's a visual that they built into the cartoon where he drops the blanket and says, fear not. So this idea of focusing on Jesus, turning to Jesus, putting confidence in Jesus, it gives us confidence and erases fear. Peter is saying, fear not. In the place of fear, worship Jesus instead. And worshiping Jesus is a means to drive out fear. Are you afraid to share the good news of Jesus with others? Then spend more time focusing on Jesus, which will increase your affection for him, which reminds us of who he is and who we are, which will increase our confidence in him. The Bible says in Luke 6, 45, that out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, our mouths speak. So if our mouths, uh, if our hearts, rather, are full of Jesus, then our mouths will speak Jesus. If we find that our mouths are constantly speaking of something else, then that is what our hearts are full of, because that's what is overflowing from our heart. Tony Merida, in the Loving Your Church book that I've used as kind of the outline for the series, he uses the example of uh, a lady who gets engaged to be married. And she's always speaking and thinking about wedding stuff, right? The dress, the venue, the fiancé, the ring. It's its this, and not that that's a bad thing, it's, it's, it's all on her mind and on her heart, and out of the overflow of her heart, her mouth speaks. We do this all the time when we're excited about something and can't wait to let everyone else know about it. On our neighborhood Facebook page, people are always, uh, well, they're always complaining, but also... Uh, If they go to a restaurant they like, they wanna share that with the neighborhood. You gotta go to this place, you gotta try this. This was great, this was great, this was great. They give you the reasons why it's so great, and they wanna share that news with everybody else, right? But how often do we rave about Jesus this way, right? You gotta know this Jesus, you gotta meet this Jesus. Here's why. And if we're not constantly kind of doing that, and I don't mean like all the time, like all the, all the, all the time, like no one knows anything else about you all the time, But if it never comes out of our mouths, it means it's not in our hearts to overflow through our mouths. If we seldom speak of Jesus, it's probably because we're not honoring Christ as holy, as Peter says, in our hearts. And the same is true for if we're afraid, because focusing on Jesus, again, reminds us that he is stronger and more capable than the things we fear. Anything that could do us harm. Nothing is greater than the power of God if he's, if he's God, if we know he is who he says he is. This is what Peter is driving at here in chapter 3. So the foundation for sharing Jesus then is a heart that is in love with Jesus. Often we don't share because we either are not uh, loving Jesus the way we should or we're not loving others the way we should. If we don't have a heart for those who are lost, then we won't be sharing Jesus with them. And so it's a heart that needs to change before our uh, behaviors will change. So now that we've kind of established this fundamental heart posture of loving Jesus, loving others, we can look at some of the more practical aspects of sharing our faith. Peter answers these in the passage that we read. I'm going to present these practical aspects as four different questions and Peter's four answers, and the answers are going to form a sentence, right? So the outline for the message is this long sentence that we're going to build point by point. You'll see where I'm going. The first practical question we see is, when should we, we, should we be ready to share? When should we be ready to share? And Peter's answer is, we always stay ready to share. We always stay ready to share. In verse 15, we read that we're to always be prepared to make a defense. If we only had the responsibility to witness to others when we wanted to or felt like it, then many of us would always find a reason not to. Right? I can't. It's not a good time. It's not the right person. We start to fill in the blanks that God has not given us. We convince ourselves all the time. We're too busy. We're too tired. It's not the perfect time. It's not the right time. And while there is some discernment involved to kind of read the room or read the situation, Peter is writing so that we'll ditch the excuses and always stay ready. There's seldom a perfect time to share Jesus with someone unless you just say any time is the perfect time to share Jesus with someone. The Bible actually speaks more to the idea that we're running out of time. We don't know the day or hour that Jesus will return, so there's an urgency to say, instead of I'll do it later, to say we may not have a later, and so maybe I should defer to it's not a good time, doesn't seem like the perfect time, but it's now, and today can be the day of salvation. Time is fleeting. Time is fleeting, and so we press forward diligently looking for ways to share and times to share. When I went on my first uh, mission trip to Africa, our team was told to always be ready, to have your story ready, because you could be called on at any time to share. Um, They say this because they say flexibility. For weeks and weeks and weeks, they're drilling into our ideas that you need to be flexible, because we might have our plans, but you get over there and things can change, moment by moment, day by day. You may find yourself like we did hours behind schedule getting to a church that we were supposed to be at for a Sunday morning service, and we got there like after lunchtime, and they had already had, I think, two services while waiting for us, and were still there waiting for us to have another service. Uh, that's how committed they were. Uh, we would not do that here, right? If it was like, oh, you know, Pastor Jeremy's going to be here at 9 a.m., and if I'm not here by 9.15, y'all be gone. But these people had two or three church services waiting for us to get there, and um, so things could change all the time. Uh, and the missions pastor, Pastor Dwight Davis, was notorious for kind of putting people on the spot and kind of, you know, making sure that you were ready. And uh, and so he would tell you, always be ready. Always have your story ready because he could call on you any time we were in front of people to say, hey, it's your turn to share your story of how you trusted in Jesus, and how you came to faith. And so we practiced for weeks going into that to get our story to a place where we were confident in it, uh, where it wasn't rambling and too long and too many details, because you don't always have a lot of time, right? And so they would work with us on, let's make sure it's concise, it's clear, and it points people to Jesus, but to always be ready. This was the always be prepared, right? That's what we were called to do. And I don't think Peter's writing from this attitude of putting somebody on the spot when he says, always be ready, because I could call on your pop quiz. But he's helping us recognize that it's the Spirit of God who moves whenever he wants wherever he wants, and we're to follow the lead of the Spirit. We're not God. We don't know when and where he's going to move, but we should expect that he will move and stay ready in light of that. You can have Jesus talks in all kinds of times and places that we don't expect to, um, and so we should be expecting that and looking for those opportunities to always be ready. The second question Peter answers for us is what should we be ready to share? So we always stay ready to share The reason for our hope. This is the what. We always stay ready to share the reason for our hope. This answer speaks to the content of our witnessing. What is it that we're actually communicating? And Peter serves us well to direct us to the reason for our hope. Again, in the book, Loving Your Church, or Love Your Church, by Tony Merida, he makes a great point that witnessing is not reserved for those with theological educations or uh, this fancy training or anything like that. Every believer is called to share and should be ready to share. And every believer has a story to share. If you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, you have an amazing story of transformation from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That story is unique to you. And so we all who are believers have a unique to us story that is only ours. And yet, when we share the gospel, we talk about this part that's unique to us that only we have experienced, and we all get to the same place at some point. We all get to the cross, because we've all come to Jesus by trusting in Jesus. By having faith in him, we receive eternal life. Our sins are forgiven. That's the same for every believer. And so we have all these unique experiences and things that we've been through, sins we've committed, things done to us, all these things that are unique to us and our story that's ours, that no one can take from us, no one else shares with us. And yet, we come to this point of, I realized at one point, that I was separated from God in my sin. And the only hope for me in life and death was Jesus Christ. And by trusting in him by faith, my sins were forgiven and I've been received eternal life with him so that I can go to um, eternity with him in fellowship with God. That's the same for every believer. And so you have this part that God has uniquely given to you and this part that we share with the church universal around the world throughout history. But that's the reason For our hope. If you've trusted Jesus, then you should live with hope in Him, right? Our salvation, um, this eternity that we're blessed with, this idea that He has really changed our lives, it should be evident. And so Peter is saying, like, people may ask you, they should ask you. If you're different, then there's things about you that people notice that those who don't know Jesus would say, why do you? Uh, Approach finances this way or parenting this way or sickness or suffering this way or loss this way. That's different And so Peter's saying if you live differently people are going to notice that and so you need to be ready for them to say Why are you different? Well, I'm I'm not sure Say no Give give them the evidence of your hope point them to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ They're going to want to know Our good works will prompt these questions, and our answers need to flow from our transformed hearts. So may we always stay ready to share the reason for our hope. So now we know when and what. Always be ready to share the reason for our hope. The next question is with whom? With whom should we be ready to share? Peter's answer as we finish out our sentence is, or start to finish out our sentence, we always stay ready to share the reason for our hope with anyone so with anyone now he does specify with anyone who asks but we don't have control over who has questions so we stay prepared to share with anyone one of the things we do to um, let ourselves off the hook is sometimes say they're, they're not interested before we know if they're interested right to say they don't have questions they they would never want to know about jesus before we actually give them an opportunity Peter is definitely keeping us on our toes here, right? He says to be ready all the time. And now we have to be ready to share all the time with anyone. That's a lot. That's a lot on us, but that's what we're called to do. That's what we are to encourage each other to be ready for. This application nudges us in a certain direction as we consider preparation. How How should I be ready? How should I make myself ready? We don't know how to specifically prepare if we don't know who's coming, who's asking the question. I was thinking about this, and this may be, all analogies are failed, but um, this idea of if a football team knows who their opponent is gonna be, they study film, they study their opponent. What are their weaknesses, what are their strengths? Like We have our playbook, we have our identity, and we're gonna stick to that, but if I know something about the person I'm going up against, I wanna know about it. And so sometimes we, we want to know that if we're gonna share Jesus with somebody, but we don't always have that luxury. So Peter is saying, you don't get to pick and choose, Sometimes you can kind of work the context in to say I know what this person is going through and so I want to speak the gospel into their specific brokenness. We don't always know. And so again, this idea of worshiping Jesus and setting him apart as holy in our hearts, it allows us that flexibility to adjust. To make those adjustments and say, man, I I know where I'm going to get with every conversation about coming to Christ. Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, forgiveness for sins, that part doesn't change. But if I'm going to talk to somebody, for example, I have a friend who um, had a terrible relationship with, with his earthly father. He came to Christ, and so in coming to Christ, like anyone else who comes to Christ by faith in Jesus, same way, and yet to him, this idea of God as our heavenly father is much more meaningful than it might be to someone else who has a great relationship with their dad, Right? And so there's this uniqueness to him, this uniqueness to his story where he has a heart not just to appreciate God as Heavenly Father, but to speak that hope to others who are fatherless. And so he's got this identity where, listen, he can share Jesus with, with anyone because he has a story of salvation, and yet if he knows someone who is fatherless in earth, he has a unique way to, to speak into that brokenness. And so Peter, I think, is calling us to both, right? Like, you should be able just to share the gospel, simple, plain, with anyone. And yet, there are ways to identify what is the brokenness in this person specifically, that, and how does the gospel answer that? The gospel is the answer for everyone. And yet, someone who has experienced deep, deep fatherlessness may not respond to just some simple, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell. You want to speak to the brokenness man, the the world is broken. And the fatherlessness that you have experienced is a symptom of the brokenness in our world. Because once sin entered the world, things were broken, relationships became broken. And families started to fall apart because of the brokenness in the world. And so this isn't a punishment from God. It's it's, uh, in a way, in God's goodness, he shows us there is brokenness in your family and yet there's wholeness and perfection in the family of God. And God is the perfect heavenly father who can answer and fill in those things where your earthly father has failed. And so that's a unique way to say, listen, the gospel applies to everybody, but I want to be able to speak into your brokenness with how the gospel answers that. And if we aren't worshiping Jesus all the time and looking to Jesus all the time and considering how the gospel mends brokenness in all these different ways, it's going to be hard for us to adjust and contextualize to different people. The hope of jesus it manifests differently depending on our situations right there's a uniqueness that we each bring and yet this common ground in christ and yet the spirit moves whenever he wants in whomever he wants so we need to be ready to share with anyone again this can be intimidating to think about Um, we often see in scripture and should be pursuing in our own lives uh, this idea that uh, in the book, again, from Tony Merida, he talks about these this network evangelism. And so there's kind of this approach we see where, um, and has been kind of taught and harped on for years and years and years and years, uh, this kind of cold call evangelism. Door to door, you don't know who's behind the door unless, hey, you know, if you died tonight, you know where you'd spend eternity and why Jesus, you know, Peter should let you into heaven. And that's, that's one approach, Right? But I think that we see in scripture, and I think we see through relationship, and it it makes more sense to say, we have networks of influence. Where we live, where we work, where we play, where we shop, we interact with people all the time. And so we're in relationship, again, to, to see where their brokenness might be, to build trust in the relationship, to say, I'm not just some stranger at your door saying, will you trust in Jesus? God can work through that, for sure. But if you have a relationship with someone in your network, They know you're not just trying to zap them or kind of get a a points for yourself or a trophy, right, of I shared Jesus with someone. They know that you're sharing out of concern and care for them. I love you. I want you to spend eternity where I'm going to spend eternity. I have this living hope that's transformed my life, and I want you to experience it as well. And so we work through these networks in our lives to kind of categorize it. If you're thinking, okay, how do I organize these areas, familial network, our family, a geographical network, people who live around us, neighbors, community, a vocational network, people we work with, a recreational network, people we socialize with or hang out with, play dates, etc., and a commercial network, when we go to shop, when we go to restaurants, when we go uh, dry cleaners, whatever it might be, the people, the merchants that we experience or inter- encounter, this is the same idea that we talk about here at Missio Day when we talk about engaging society with the good news of Jesus. While I've been mentioning that the Spirit can move whenever and in whomever He wants for sure, we need to be flexible and ready all the time because we don't always get to pick who might need to hear about Jesus. We also have this long list of people we're already familiar with and coming into contact with. If we need some more tips on how to go about engaging these people in our networks, the book offered these simple tasks. Pray for them. Pray for the people in your networks. Invite them, and not, I'm not saying just to church, invite them to have dinner or coffee, right? To build a relationship. Serve them. What can you do to serve them? Give resources to them. Hey, you know, check out this book or this article. What do you think about this? Um, if you want to get all the way to like, hey, you want to share the message of the gospel with you, there's tracks and things like that, uh, and then share the gospel with them, this fifth task of sharing the truth of the message. Not just loving them, but giving reason for the hope you have that you want them to have as well. And remember what we're talking about here is the church, the church's effort to share the gospel. So sometimes you may say, man, I'm, I'm super nervous, or I know this person has an area of brokenness that I haven't experienced, but my brother or sister in Christ has. Take them with you, right? Build that bridge through someone else in the body of Christ you can go in teams, right? We're not it's not like I'm getting individual points for sharing Jesus with people like let's share. Let's share the the points. Not we're not getting points. Sorry. Let's let's share let's share the ministry with one another. The privilege, the blessing, the honor of sharing Jesus with others. Let's do that together if we can. Okay, so the final question, how should we be ready to share? So this is going to complete our sentence if you're keeping track. If anyone has written the sentence down, Oh, thanks, Deke. This is going to complete our sentence. We always stay ready to share the reason for our hope with anyone gently and respectfully. This is the, the, the addendum there that Peter gives us. In verse 15, he adds on this, yet do it with gentleness and respect. It seems nothing new is under the sun, right? Peter knows that when we give a defense or a reason for something that we believe, we're prone to being defensive. We're prone to even communicate with contempt towards someone else, as if we're on different sides and they're the enemy. Remember, the gospel is good news of grace for sinners. It's not a talking point or an idea, this idea that we get to take ownership of to win arguments. We're not out to to own anyone or take them down with our ideas. We're remembering that everyone on earth is an image-bearer who has fallen short of the glory of God, just like we did. And that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. That's our criteria. Not, man, I'm right and you're wrong, so hear me out, right? It's, man, I've been invited to this thing that you should be invited to as well. We start with a list that includes everyone on earth, and then we end up in heaven with a list that only God knows. Our job is not to decide who ends up on that list or pretend to act like we can determine who deserves to be invited to heaven. It's as if we are guests to a party, we've been given a green light to let everybody else know they're invited, and we're not empowered to keep people out or withhold the invitation from anyone. Our job is to share the message of hope and joy and peace and love that was at one time shared with us Somebody shared the truth of the gospel with us, and we leave the results up to the Lord. If our aim truly is to extend grace and offer an invitation into God's family, we should do so gently and respectfully. We should be sharing Jesus with others, like sharing Netflix accounts, right? Get in on this. Unlimited access, right? There's no, there's no data limits on this. There's no screen limit on this. you got to get in on this. But even more so, because Jesus has truly given us new everlasting life, he has, as 1 Peter 1 says, this living hope. We read this earlier. He has secured for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Because of this amazing grace, this power in our lives, we can and should witness to others, inviting them to trust in Jesus too. Let's pray. God, thank you for inviting us into the ministry of sharing the good news with others. That you have changed us, you have transformed us. God, may we never think that your grace is, um, is finite, that you're, that we might run out, that we found a good thing and we don't, we don't, wanna, uh, we don't wanna share it because we may not, may not get enough. That's not how your grace works. You lavish us with your grace. Scripture speaks to grace upon grace. And so, God, may we be like people who have found something that is is infinite. It's unlimited. So we don't say, this is mine, find your own. We say, look what I found. You want this as well. Get in on this. Jesus has changed my life. He's transformed me. He can transform you. He can give you new life too. Give us hearts, Lord, that, that revere Christ as set apart and holy and that desire for sinners to be saved that we would pray for our enemies that we wouldn't judge others and withhold grace and say they're not worthy of an invitation to heaven we weren't either remind us we weren't either no one is deserving of grace that's why it's grace so may we not just enjoy your grace lord but extend your grace to others help us to be uh, to take initiative to be proactive to make lists if we need to, to pray for people by name, to listen to their stories, to hear the brokenness in their lives and to know that your spirit will give us the right words to share with them. You've already given us a story to share. Give us the discernment, the wisdom, the boldness, the faith to share with others and invite them to trust, to believe. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.